If you would uh, join me again in prayer as we look to the Word of the Lord. Lord, we thank You so much for today. Lord, uh, I pray that You would uh, lead us and guide us in Your Word, that it would be powerful and effective. Lord, give us grace as we hear these things today. As in somewhat former fashion, each, every single one of us is affected directly by what you have in, written in your word here in Ephesians chapter 6. And Lord, we ask that you would guide us, give us wisdom on what is right and how to live. Give us all wisdom on how we are to honor our parents, how we are to obey. And as parents, Lord, pray, we pray that you would give us wisdom and how we are to lead our children and to direct them. Be with us in this time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. In the last uh, week, two weeks, Mike has spent time um, giving us an exposition of the household relationship between a husband and a wife. That that first order relationship of what some have called the household code. The, the very bedrock and foundation of that inter-house relationship. Obviously the Lord is what we must build upon, but as far as uh, that family structure... You must have two um, to make that work, to, to see this um, in action as the Scripture has put it. And I, when I say that, I, I, I realize that many of us come from uh, various experiences when it comes to that reality. Some of us don't have that relationship. You may not even know who your parents are. Some of you, um, um, your parents may have never been together. You may not have experienced that. So Mike talked about what, what in an ideal world, what does the Scripture describe this relationship from a godly perspective? What, does, what is God's prescription for the marriage relationship? And we've spent that much, all of that time last, in the last two weeks describing how that looks. And why it's important that those things um, exist the way they are. And today, Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 6 to deal with a group of individuals that's very important to the Lord. Children. And that's not always been the case throughout history. Children have not always been viewed um, in a special place. But the Lord very much cares about this relationship between Parents and children. And likewise in the other direction between children and their parents. So as we um, look to the text this morning, I pray that um, I have prayed and I, I ask you to look for a moment at what would be the ideal situation. Because if you're like many people, you come from a home that may not have had an ideal situation. And so when you come to this text, you may bring all sorts of baggage with you. Baggage that would make you angry at maybe the way that Paul says that we are to do things. 
And not just Paul, but the Lord himself. And so as we do that, um, let's read the text. If, if you will stand as we read Ephesians chapter 6 in honor of the hearing of the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So today, I will be looking at this passage of Scripture with three main ideas. The first, we're going to look at a command, a promise, and a reason. Second, we will look at the benefits of godly obedience. And third, we will look at a call to action for fathers. So first, if you will look with me at the text, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul really doesn't mince any words. When he says, children, obey your parents, that's exactly what he means. He doesn't mean anything other than that. There is no like secondary clause here in which there is like these little lines in, in which we get to go, okay, well, this is what I would choose to obey. I'm going to obey my parents and the things I would like for the, like to obey, and I'm not going to obey the things that really don't work out for me. And that's, that's not what he says here. He is very plain. Children ought to obey their parents. And understand this. When I say that, there are a lot of children in the room. This is not for just the children who actually are under the household authority of their parents. But this also applies to children who are adults who have parents that are still alive. Now, I understand there are some relational things here that we have to kind of flesh out when I say that. Because there, there are aspects in which we, when we grow up, when we leave and we cleave, when we leave our father and mother hold fast to our wives, or when we, 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 don't, we don't live in that relationship um, in, that, in the same way that we once did when we were growing up and training and, and under, that, under the direction of our parents, there may be a distinction here. We'll deal with that next whenever he, we look at the citation that Paul gives of Exodus chapter 20 when he says, honor your parents. But first of all, we see a command. Children, obey. Your parents. This is something that transcends culture, period. Because what Paul says here was true in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, and is true today. When the Lord created, He created things in within a, with a certain order about them. And it is fitting for the children to obey their parents. So first we see a command. Then we see a, a qualification, if you will. We are to obey our parents in the Lord. 
Understand this, that the, the obedience of children to their parents is never separated from the one who is given, who is the source of all authority. If you think back for just a moment to Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says something. For this reason I bow my knees, it's verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in, on heaven on earth is named. We understand this, that if you have parents in your life, the parents that you have are the parents that the Lord has given you. Period. Now with that comes a whole host of emotions that I mentioned whenever we come to this text. Because the reality is is that not all, all of us live with parents who are sinners. All of us have parents who are sinners. All of us have parents who have not always done what is right. Who, has not, who have not always directed us in the way that we ought to go as is proper. But the qualification, is, the, the qualification does not negate the reality that we must obey our parents. We are to obey our parents according into in the Lord. So just for an example for a moment. If our parents were to ask us to do something that was in direct contradiction to the revealed will of God, what God had called us to do, that would be a way, an instance in which obedience to the higher authority does not usurp obedience to the secondary authority. So we must obey God ultimately and then obey those who have been set in authority over us. For a moment, turn with me really quick to Matthew chapter 10. I will give you a scriptural example in which... Um, there may be a time and a place for this. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus speaking about discipleship, starting in verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. An example in which where this qualification, so to speak, comes and hits the road is right there. We are not ever to obey our parents to the extent that we disobey our Heavenly Father. And then the reason is given. It's as if God is giving us this command as children. Because as children, we often want to know why things are the way that they are. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He doesn't go into a theological diatribe here. He doesn't go into all the reasons why it's smart for you to do this. For this is right. That's it. Because something is proper, because something is right, is good enough reason for it to be done. And so as children... If you are a child here and your parents are in the room, your obligation before your heavenly father, the first order authority in your life, 
is to obey your parents. In the Lord. And the only reason is because that's the right thing to do. There is a plethora of other reasons and effects for all of those types of things. But that's the way. So to speak, this is the way. That is the way. Because it is right. And I say all of that, that, right, when we read verse 1, in our with our cultural mindset, with all the things that we bring, we might even come to this text and go, well, hold on just a minute. My, my parents aren't perfect. How am I supposed to do this? My parents were very severe. They asked me to do all of these things. And they, they, they did all these things to me and made me do things I didn't want to do all the time. Yeah, and all, a whole host of things. There is no caveat here for those types of things. And we may come to this and say, well, my, you know, how am I supposed to obey my parents when they're not very respectable people? You know, fill in the blank. That's not the question. Obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. That is not a natural thing for people born with a sin nature. If you're a student of Scripture, you are very well aware that this relationship between parents, wives and husbands, parents and children, people with neighbor and neighbor have all been affected, have all been tainted, by the reality of sin in the world. And not only sin in the world, but sinners in the world. We are all sinners. And as children, it is not a natural thing to want to obey your parents. It is not, it does not come naturally. There is always that thing that flares. There's always the thing that comes up and says, well, that's not what I like to do. But in the Lord, in the Lord, this is right. Paul, in dealing with that first order relationship, makes that assumption that the husband and the wife are doing as they ought to. This is how they ought to live. And if the husband and the wife is living this way, then there ought to be present parents who are expecting and trying to shepherd obedience in their children. We'll get to that um, in the third point. But in his statement in verse 1, he immediately brings up something. And this, and Paul teaches us a few things. This, this teaches us something about how the New Testament writers viewed the Old Testament. It also teaches us something about the authority of God's Word. So Paul, in, in, as, as almost a reference, as a proof, a proof of what he is trying to communicate, quotes Exodus chapter 20. He makes a statement that we are to obey. And then, honor your father and mother. And then he gives us a parenthetical reference. A little tidbit. Which is the first commandment with a promise. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. When Paul was, wrote this letter and it was likely read aloud to the congregation, 
He did not have in mind just the children who are currently being trained, but adult children. And the reason I think that he brings uh, brings Exodus 20 to bear in this discussion is because it was just as true in Exodus 20 as it is today. It was just as um, um, a representation, a, a not just a representation, a, a literal written in stone example of God's will. What He expects from us. Honor your father and mother. He, he cites that as an example of His of the consistency of his teaching in the first century A.D. with two thousand thousands of years B.C. before that. God has always intended that the relationship between parents and children exists in the way that he created it. He has never intended for children to be the rulers of the home. He has never intended for parents to be the ultimate authority in the home. But He has intended that God is the ultimate authority. He has instructed parents to lead their children in the way and that their children ought to believe. And that transcends culture. We have so much, so many things in our culture that scream at this type of idea. This idea that there is a way that things, a way that things ought to be done. And if we're not careful, if we if we if we listen often to those things, we may walk away thinking that, well, we have these kids and they're really just a drain on our resources. That's really kind of ultimately what they are. Or we walk away thinking that our children are our best friends and that we ought to actually be like fraternized. We ought to be their brothers or sisters. We they ought to be our equals in that way. But God has not intended that because He has set these things up in such a way that it that it is befitting for us to live in this way. That the confession writes about this idea of honor. What does it mean to honor your parents? And this is where we walk away from this text, understanding that this doesn't just apply to parents who are your children who are being trained in the home, but to children who are outside of the home who still have parents in their lives. This is what the confession says. Uh, this is or the larger, larger catechism, question number 127, if you want to look. The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors, their parents. They, the, in the confession, if you remember, if you were here on Wednesday night, the confession describes this commandment and, and applies it even in an even broader sense than just in the family unit. The honor which children owe to their parents or inferiors owe to their superiors, is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to, defense, and maintenance of their persons and authority according to their several ranks and the nature of their places." Bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love, so that they may be an so that so they may be an honor to them and to their government. What does it mean to honor your parents? That's a lifelong command that that did not end when you left your parents' home. It means 
all due reverence and heart. The writers of the confession extended this commandment not only to refer to all of those things, those people in our lives. Because God has set things up in such a way as He has intended it. We are to seek to both be reverent externally and internally. And when I think about this, I think about all the implications that come to bear in our lives of The majority of children do not grow up in parents in homes where both parents are present. And they don't have this idea that would lend them to um, excuse me. We have this idea that because things are broken, then we are absolved from the way God has called us to live. And, and you may think that because this, the way these things have happened to me, the way that God's providence has been in my life, that I ought not to still honor these people whom God has placed over us. But when we do that, we miss we miss the promise of God that is present in the commandment. Despite your station in life, we you are called to honor them, and in that honoring, God shows us something about Himself in the promise that he gave. Paul uses that term, which is the first commandment with a promise. What is that promise? He says, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. In Exodus 20, when this was written, the the people that heard this commandment would have heard that and thought about the land of Canaan, the land of promise, this physical place, this physical um, boundary that God had said that if you would live in this way, if you honor me and walk in my commandments and do these things, then I will bless you. Which is true. That's not true in every respect. It's not true when it comes to our salvation in the sense that if you will live in a good way, then you're going to receive some sort of salvation or merit from the Lord. That's not what it's saying. But but if you do follow and do what the Lord um, has called you to do, you are blessed. You will be blessed for having done that. But when, when God says this promise, this Paul doesn't mention the second part of that verbatim. He says... That it may be well with you. If you live in honor of your father and your mother, and you do that both inside and outside of your home, both internally and externally, you're not just slavishly obedient externally and then walking away and, and, and speaking the curses of your parents and all of these things. If you do these things, it will be well with you. There is real tangible benefits to living and, and, and respecting the people whom God has placed over us in authority both in this life and in the next. 
And then he says that you may live long in the land. And if you're here this day and your parents are teaching you and are living in such a way that that they are trying to see that you're obedient, that you're obedient not only just to them and their commands or anything like that, but also that next level that that you're obedient unto the Lord, because that's the right thing to do. If your parents are speaking the command of the gospel to repent and to believe. Understand this, that is not just a promise for this life. But it is a promise for the next one that it may be well with you and that you may live long. What is that life? It's not just a long life in the earth, although if you do these things and you live in this way, you will be blessed by them. But it is the real, the full fulfillment, the true promised land to live in obedience to your parents, if your parents are walking with the Lord and encouraging you to speak and, in, and even speaking the commands of the Scripture upon your life and teaching you the way, then understand this, that it is the most loving thing that you can do unto them and unto the Lord to obey. And then in that, in this idea of obedience, in this idea of honoring our parents, Paul then goes on to deal with the opposite end. Understand this, that, the, that Paul's command to, to, for children to obey is, is two-sided. It, it speaks not only to the children who should obey, but also the parents who are the other opposite end of that spectrum. That's why he has verse 4 here. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I do think it is very important that he mentions fathers here specifically. Because it is the father's responsibility to ensure that his home is walking after the Lord. He bears the authority and the responsibility to serve his family in that way. Not as a person who domineers, but as a person who earnestly seeks God. The fatherly responsibility of the home cannot be avoided. Because this is the way that the Lord has made. He begins his admonition to parents. He speaks to fathers, but this applies to mothers as well. There may not be two, there may not be a father and a mother present in the home. You may not have that as a part of your life. This speaks both to both parents, whoever is in authority over these children. Do not provoke your children to anger. And think for a moment. How could a father provoke their children to anger? There are several ways. You can think of the father who is so severe upon his children as to set commands and to bind their consciences that their children may seek honestly to obey and to do well, but they are so frustrated by the constraints of their parents or their father that they are filled with anger and, and, and rejection of that because of the, the, the constrict, constriction. And think of the father who is severe and also is a hypocrite who says, well, you ought to be living in this way and then walks away and does the very opposite of what he has commanded. I think about that at one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is the father who is so tied up in the things of this life 
is so tied up in maybe even doing good things. Maybe he's doing ministry. Maybe he's doing uh, operating in a business. Maybe he's doing all these things that he is so laissez-faire, so hands-off that his children are not even present in his life to the point that he is neglecting the command of God even though what else he may, may be doing is good. He's neglecting the command of God to, to lead and to raise his family in the discipline and instruction of the Lord as to provoke his children to anger because they pretty much don't have a father even though he's living and present. And Mike talked about this in, in his sermon last week. talks about this idea in our culture of this man who is very much just like the other children in the home. This is not what you get when you read verse 4. There is a very real responsibility, fathers and mothers, to lead your children. Parents exist for children, not children for their parents. If you are a parent here, you exist to raise your children, not after yourself, but after the Lord. And so in the same way that children are to obey parents in the Lord, parents are to raise their children in the Lord. And so, in a perfect understanding, in a a perfect look at this, you would have parents who are teaching their children the way, the ways, how to live, how to what it is to believe in the Lord, what it is to be a, a a member of society, so to speak. Just a moment, this came popped into my mind. Uh, Luke chapter two, verse fifty-one. Let's, let's look at Jesus for a moment as a child. Obviously, here we have the boy. Jesus at the temple. And there's a little summary at the end of Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 where it speaks of, uh, um, I'll read it. It says, verse 52, it says, And Jesus was advancing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So understand this, just theological note here. Jesus is the eternal Son who has always existed. He is the God-man. Okay, But in His humanity, He was a baby and He grew. Okay, and so when we read a text like Luke fifty, uh, Luke chapter two, verse fifty-two, that is it's summarizing something about Jesus's humanity. And and let's look at it. Jesus is the perfect example, right? Jesus lived without sin. If you want to look at what it means to be a perfect man, a perfect leader, and you want to look at what it means to be a good child walking after the ways of the Lord, look to the Lord because He is the one who has done it right always. But in verse fifty-two, it says Jesus was advancing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So there's four things there. He was advancing in wisdom. He was growing in body and stature. And he was socially, from a social perspective, he had favor with men. And from a spiritual perspective, he was growing and advancing in, in God. Okay? And, and when we look at Jesus and when we think about as parents, like how, how in the world are we supposed to 
not so we know that we we need to be present in the home. We don't need to provoke our children to anger by being overly severe, by binding their conscience, or um, the opposite end of the spectrum. And Paul says we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we're like, well, how how is that made possible? What aspects of this am I supposed to be thinking of? We think here in Luke 52, we have four things: knowledge, physical growth. Favor with men, favor with God. And so when we think, how are we to raise our children in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord or the fear and admonition of the Lord? Those are those things. How are we seeking to shepherd in the lives of our children? Wisdom. How they're to live. And that's what he means when we look at uh, discipline. That's what he means. This, that's... Um, guiding them, directing them, showing them physically. How are we to do this in life? How are we to teach them? How are we to correct? How are we to correct them and get them on the path? Uh, that that idea of wisdom um, and living before God and men. And then in instruction, we are to teach them the way. Who is God? What is God? How are we to relate to our the people socially in this world? And how are we to grow in a way that is is good? It is a very active role. Bring them up. It's not one of um, heavy handedness. Some, some, we may walk away just like we talked about wives and submission. This is not, uh, uh, in, in, in that relationship. This is not one of heavy handedness. This is one of, of being a servant. And when you look at um, that term, bring, bring up to, to our responsibility to bring up that the term in the original language is ektrefo. Which is to bring up to maturity and to nourish. So we are to shepherd maturity and, and to nourish our children. That idea of nourishment um, is used in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, when it refers to the love that, uh, that the husband has for his own body. It says um, in 529 that he nourishes it. He nourishes it and cherishes it, his own body. That's how just as Christ does the church. As parents, we are to nourish our children with the Word of God. We are to nourish our children in the way that the Lord has called us to live. In, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, which is a very similar passage to the one that we're looking at in a uh, Ephesians chapter 6 today, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And think for a moment how that can be done. Exasperate your children that they do not lose heart. This relationship between fathers and children, or parents and children, fathers, mothers and children, Husbands and wives, and then even out next week, we're going to look at at, at this, how we are to relate to these other people. All of this can be very difficult to, to talk about, to think about, to even study and and, and try to understand what what's being what's uh, what's being communicated to us. But ultimately, in Christian homes. We ought to try to see a growth in these things. 
As parents, we can be tempted to forget um, the grace of the Lord when we when we look at the failures that we have as parents. We can be quick to forget that um, we can go to a text like this, read it very quickly, understand, you know, read it quickly and, and, and go away and kind of get a plan together and say, I'm going to do these things and then walk away and botch it. And as children, we may, you know, try to try to do what is right to obey our parents and go away and botch it. Every single person in this room has disobeyed their parents. But more importantly than disobeying your parents, every single person in this room has disobeyed the holy God of the universe. In the same way that there ought to be grace with children and parents as we honor them, not to be too severe on our parents and their faults and failures. In the same way that parents ought not to be so severe on their children, but there ought to be grace present there. We ought to understand that if we are in Christ, that this business of raising children and being children is totally reliant upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need God's grace in order to do this poorly. We need the grace of the Lord to give us a heart to love God, to love our children, and as children to love our parents. We break this commandment often. We break it as adults. But we we should be reminded of the fact that Jesus has paid if you are in Christ for your sins. And that even though that you might have moments of failure, even moments of success, that you are totally relying upon the Lord to do this. To do it well. And to even do it at all. And so as we think about this, let us rest upon the fact that the Heavenly Father, the perfect one, the perfect example we've ever had, loved a people so much to send His Son, who was perfectly obedient, despite of the difficulty and the, and the weight of sin that He was going to have to bear. He was perfectly obedient and willing to hold and to do what God had called God the Father. And so as we consider this relationship, it points to a more perfect one. The one between the Father and the Son. And as we think about this, and as we grow, let us never lose sight of the Gospel. Because the Gospel involves a Father who does what is right. And a son who is obedient. So let us look to the word. And look to the gospel. As we seek to do this thing. And to live. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, I pray that you would help us, help the parents who are in this room. I pray that you would help us to look unto you. Help us to think about those ways in which we ought to lead our family. Help us to discipline them, to teach them the way that we should go. To teach them of You, ultimately. And Lord, I pray that as children we would be obedient. That we would be obedient to You, our Heavenly Father. And that we would hold and honor the parents that You've given us. Lord, help us never to lose sight of the fact that even though we have sinned, every person in this room in disobeying our parents, that there is hope. We know that the punishment for our sin is death, but that in Christ Jesus there is life. Lord, if there is any way that we are living in dishonor to our parents now, pray that You would help us all to repent of that and to seek to do Your will. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.